The views and opinions expressed in the Pisada Tales are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent those of the people, institutions, or organizations that they may or may not be associated with professionally or personally unless explicitly stated. Any content provided by the host and guests are of their own knowledge and opinion and do not intend to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. Everyone was struggling with algebra, that unit on uh, circles, ellipses, all these waves. <laughs> yes. So lahat, buong class nasa stress na. And she asked everyone to stop. She said, put, put down your pencil, stop, stop, stop. And then right then and there, she said, you know what I'm teaching you now? It's useless. So <laughs> everyone, you could, everyone was kind of shocked, dumbfounded. And I remember in that moment, super like table flipping energy as in, Okay, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Pisara Tales. I'm Jay Mistrelia, or Sir Jay, as my students call me. And this podcast is all about my thoughts and experiences as a young millennial teacher. Welcome. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which is now streaming through Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah, let's get to this episode. Um, our guest today uh, grew up as a third culture kid. She was born in the Philippines and grew up in Manila, Jakarta, and Singapore. Her exposure to multiple cultures and immersion in different school systems opened her eyes to the pros and cons of both traditional and progressive teaching styles. Ooh, this should be interesting. Uh, this fueled her passion for education. After graduating from the Ateneo de Manila University with a Bachelor of Science in Communications Technology Management and minor in education, she worked for two years as the student and community affairs officer of the Multiple Intelligence International School. She is also currently pursuing her master's in educational administration at the University of the Philippines. So please welcome Ms. Bianca Insigne. Yay! Yay. Yeah, we're my own applause. Hello! Hello. <laughs> Good afternoon! There's no kind applause. This is very authentic. Hi! Uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm okay. Siguro experiencing mild cabin fever like a lot of people. Uh, a lot of mild. Wow. Mild. mild. Quite mild, pareh. Yeah. because uh, hindi naman full out since I've been able to go out. You know, like other regions, uh, we've been transitioning from ECQ to GCQ and the like. So. I haven't been stuck at home 24/7 naman nakakalabas na din ako. So it parang shifting from from ze- severe to mild. <laughs> no, eh. <laughs> naman ah, bababa. Yeah, bababa na. Kasi beyond severe na dito sa amin. But anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we'll just talk more about your life and then your experiences. But speaking of your life, you said that you know, you studied in Manila and Jakarta and Singapore. How was the breakdown? So, Like where you started here, you were born here in the yeah. Philippines. 
Wow, so parang pang MMK. Dear Charo. Oh, yeah. Siyempre, yeah. we, we need to know your background. Right. Wow. Uh, okay, so my dad uh, worked in PNG his entire career. Uh, after graduating, he went straight to PNG and he was there for 30 years. Uh, he's retired now. So being part of Procter & Gamble gave him the opportunity to be an expat. So the company assigned him to different uh, countries every three to four years. So that's the main reason why uh, I grew up moving around Southeast Asia. So I was born here in Manila. And then when I was three years old, my dad was assigned to Indonesia, Jakarta, Indonesia. So he stayed there for another three years. And then... He got the call that he was assigned back to Manila. So that was the pattern. It was always Philippines first, and then another country, and then Manila. So, ah, so bumabalik Manila, din. Yeah, bumabalik kami. So I moved back to the Philippines when I was six. And then when I was nine, it was time for Singapore. Singapore, four years naman doon. And then when I was 13, we moved back to the Philippines. So this is the longest that we've been in a single location. It's already been um, seven, seven years. It feels longer, but yeah, it's been <laughs> seven, yeah, seven years here. That's the longest time we've stayed in a single yeah. location. Yeah. college Yes. So like, how did you view your teachers? Well, first here. And then in Jakarta and Singapore, like how, how did you see your teachers, professors, stuff like that? Um, well, when I saw this question, I, this funny anecdote came to mind. Uh, when I was a kid in, in preschool, I did not see my teachers as human beings outside of the classroom. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember I imagined parang what happens when we go home. I thought that teachers uh, stay in at school. I thought they lived in school. So it was beyond my com- <laughs> yeah, it was beyond my comprehension that um they would actually leave school or they had lives outside the classroom. So if you remember yeah. when you're a child preschool, they usually have uh, smaller tables diba? for the kids like the, the chairs and the tables are smaller so I would always imagine that my teachers would be uh, sleeping in the classroom on those small chairs and tables <laughs> yeah, yeah. But of course I mean that was when I was um, I think three years old I always say that I have a sharp memory so yeah that was when I was around three years old um, but then of course when when I grew older, I think in grade school, I would view teachers as more uh, um, parental figures, I would say. And then later in high school, that's when I started to see them as inspiration. Um, so in grade school, I considered them parental figures, uh, mainly because in the, where, where I studied for grades of four to seven, uh, Singapore American school in the grade school system you have one teacher who teaches you all of your s- subjects except for okay. what we call a specials like art or music foreign language that's a separate teacher 
But otherwise, the main core academics, math, English, science, and the like, it's one teacher. So um, as a student with my class, I was with one teacher the entire day. So that's why I viewed them as a parental figure, as a parang second mother or mother away yeah. from home. So I think that's, parang that's one difference I noticed na in the Philippines, uh, grade school pa lang. I remember grade one, I had a different teacher for each subject. So... That yeah. in, that's one difference um, yeah so parental figure and then high school I they, that's when I saw them as inspiration because I I could I could see like how difficult the subject matter was as a student so I started to imagine how difficult it would be for someone to actually teach that to people who have different levels of understanding yeah so if you ask me how I saw my teachers, that's the evolution. At first, I thought that they were like a part of the school. <laughs> they never yeah. leave the classroom. Later on, they're like a parental figure, and then they became an inspiration for me. They have like particular teachers that come to mind that like really inspired you to be who you are right now. Um, I definitely point out my second or. My high school math teacher. Uh, I have. I. I clearly remember uh, her name's Miss Orteza. So I don't know if she would be listening, but hello. <laughs> <laughs> if she's ever listening, yes, definitely, Miss. You're one of my inspirations. Uh, everyone was. <laughs> everyone was struggling with algebra. That unit on uh, circles, ellipses, all these ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So lahat class na stress na. And she asked everyone to stop. She said, put, put down your pencil. Stop, stop, stop. And then right then and there, she said, you know what I'm teaching you now? It's useless. So <laughs> everyone, but you could, everyone was kind of shocked, dumbfounded. And I remember in that moment, super like table flipping energy. As in, nakakainis, naggali talaga. Sabi niya, what I'm teaching you now is useless. She goes, yung mga circles, ellipses, hindi mo yan gagamitin sa buhay. So we were all confused and what's the point of this class? And so she explained, what I'm teaching you is the skills. And then parang everyone was kind of silent there. So she explained, you know, the, the patience it takes to solve a math problem, the diligence that you need to stick to a problem and solve it. Creativity. Yes. Problem-solving skills, creativity, diligence, patience, perseverance. That's what I'm trying to teach you. So stress. That's what she said. I think um, that's a high school memory that definitely stuck with me and made me want to pursue uh, education because I realized that um, there are many different ways to teach important skills and online yeah. there's like a plethora of memes saying that I, I i never use anything i learned in school but when i'm when do i need to know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell we have all these facts but yes, when yes, i think about true. um miss orteza i remember okay yeah I, I i don't need to know how to find the area or um, the circumference of a circle or an ellipse, but because of that math lesson, she's 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 right. I learned how to be patient when I'm solving the problem and to 
determine what are the options for solving them, trying different methods. So I thought that was something eye-opening for me about education, how it's not just about transferring knowledge or facts. It's also It can also help you learn soft skills. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, those that that's more important actually than the actual math lessons, unless yes. you would be like, you know, an engineer. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, so you studied, and then you you studied your co- college here. So you mm-hmm. finished college here, undergrad in Ateneo. Why here? I mean, why not? Uh, you've been to Jakarta. You've been to Singapore. Why not? You know, pursue it there. Uh. Well. When I was a fourth year student in high school, so yeah, at that time, malapang K to twelve, hindi pa siya grade twelve. Yeah. Uh, I did. Na <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I did. I did apply abroad, but I only applied to one school, which was Yale NUS. Um, and the and it was always a dream to study abroad. So, so I this, I chose Yale NUS because I lived in Singapore and. Uh, both schools had a very good reputation. Yale is Ivy League. NUS is like the UP of Singapore. Uh, yeah. But the but honestly, the main reason why I studied here was because I didn't pass uh, Yale NUS. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but um, when I started uh, working, and part 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 of my work involved some college counseling. I realized everything that was lacking in my application and what I was doing wrong. So it made a lot of sense. I think just at the time, it when I was a senior in high school, it wasn't so popular, the idea of studying abroad. It was just so normal to study in the Philippines, apply to the big four here. So except for that, it was like more of like a daydream to study abroad that mm-hmm. made me... Uh, apply to Yale and US but otherwise I didn't really uh, make it parang hindi ko talaga kinarear na mag-apply abroad okay fair yeah. enough so yeah Bachelor of Science in Communications Technology Management and a minor in Education does this have like a thesis option how how does this course work like is there like a, a comprehensive exam or maybe yeah. thesis or? Um, I, I don't want to I don't want to badmouth my course. <laughs> but when, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. When, it's not uh, badmouthing. Yeah, when, when, uh-huh, when people ask me about Comtech, uh, that's the short, the shorter name yeah, for yeah. my course. Um, I always say that I'm disappointed in the thesis uh, because it's purely theoretical. So in in my in my batch. Um, the but th- every year the thesis changes. So in my batch for com- of Comtech majors, our thesis was to improve the customer service experience of a specific brand. So oh my- wait, so you did you guys didn't get to pick your topics? It was more or less assigned, like or is there a theme? Ganda? Um, it was really a theme. So that was the theme in a sense, Im- improving the customer experience of a brand, and then we choose. Uh, which brand that we're going to study okay. about. So our our thesis group chose Anytime Fitness. So we uh-huh. essentially had to design an entire plan that would 
uh, incorporate you know elements of finance, marketing, operations management on how to improve the customer experience of any time. So of course it was a good experience working with my group mates because like it's an essential part of college life to go through thesis. But I I wish that my the- I parang in a way I sort of envied uh, my other batchmates from different courses because their thesis were things that they were really passionate about and they really poured their entire heart, mind and soul in. Like for example the management majors they their thesis is to create a business so by the time they graduate they actually have a real product that they can sell or they have already been selling and other majors uh worked on worked on projects that were actually implemented i think that was the biggest Mm. pet peeve for me that our thesis was just a plan it was never implemented unlike other majors yeah i understand but um, how do you think this impacted you as an educator, like the the way you are right now, in terms of your experience in teaching, in, uh, in terms of being part of a school, and now you're studying masters in education. You know how how do you think that research contributed to your growth, if any? Well, I think it further uh, strengthened my belief that students need to find something they're genuinely interested in in order to learn and perform well in a subject Um, that's because what happened in my experience was it was a requirement we needed to fulfill Uh, yeah we get to choose we got to choose the brand but we didn't really get a chance to choose what we were going to do to culminate the four years of our college education so I think my thesis experience, it inspired me to, as an educator to ensure that my students want to do what they're doing because that what, that's what makes learning stick. It's what makes learning more meaningful for the student and useful yeah. and beneficial to them. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, there, there has to be some sort of... Uh, some form of application and not just you know the things that you know I don't know my students know yes yes definitely well afterwards you worked for uh, multiple intelligence international school student and community affairs officer like what did you do there was did you teach yeah well okay so um the the short term for my position was SEA officer and uh for those two years, I really did a lot of things. <laughs> um, right. So I was the moderator for student council. And then mm-hmm. I also organized a lot of the community building, non-academic uh, events. So things like their batch night, which is similar to a recollection or a retreat. Yeah. Since it was... Uh, non-sectarian school you know it's an international school so it's not like catholic schools where it would be explicitly called a retreat or recollection so those things like batch night uh, as well as the seniors camp which takes place in baguio like like the typical high school experience and then also typical high school experience <laughs> 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 Or baka for Catholic schools, 
common talaga yun na bag, bagyo yung highlight ng port. Um, anyway, yeah, going on. So yeah, community building in terms of um, the school. So uh, that batch nights, uh, parent teen nights, so that's involving the parents and the community. Uh, I also organized their field trips, both local and international. So MIIS, the school I worked at, had uh, field trips within the Philippines, and then they also had study tour abroad. So the students would fly to Singapore, uh, Tokyo, and Seoul, South Korea, for five days, four nights. It's really a, it's a, it's a culture exposure trip, and also a chance for them to visit us colleges abroad. So just to open doors for them as uh, opportunities of studying abroad, which also leads to my other responsibility of uh, college counseling. So I was the liaison between the high school and uh, universities outside of the Philippines. So I connect students to colleges abroad. Um, I assisted and coached them with their applications, their essays, and the like, and also helped them with placement, like uh, helping them find the right fit for which school they're going to apply to abroad. So, 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 so it kind of sounds like, you know, you're kind of like a guidance counselor. I wor- definitely like, work uh, these sound, closely. These sound like responsibilities of a guidance counselor. Yeah, I, I work closely with the uh, guidance counselor. But then I see the, uh, the added tasks were more of, my boss would say that you're the fun side of school. <laughs> So on top of like the batch night and the parenting night events, I all I was also part of, or I was also in charge of helping the students organize their prom. So all of the um all the fun events and other events like celebrating international holidays. So it was a big deal to celebrate the Chuseok Festival, which is a popular Korean festival, Chinese New Year. So. But it's all about making school parang more fun for the kids, really the non-academic side. So uh, I did not uh, teach in a classroom. Siguro the closest would be um, facilitating leadership trainings for the class officers there. So it is pretty much a handful. But did you teach? So you didn't teach any subjects? If I... Uh, no, just... This was purely an administrative role. Yeah, administrative, extracurricular side. The, like I said, the closing to the closest to teaching was teaching the um, student council and the class officers. So for their every year, they had like a, at the start of the year when the officers are elected, there's a leadership training. So it's kind of like a team building for the class officers. A planning session for their goals for the school year and then also leadership training yeah so why not apply to like being an actual teacher what 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 drew you into this uh, role um i was actually i actually did apply for a teaching position um so i was i was accepted in assumption and ika assumption antipolo and ika for teaching positions, uh, for ICA it was a senior high position, and for Assumption it was a grade school position. But MI offered me something different. I was honestly attracted to the job because it seemed very 
enticing to me to work with the youth since I was uh, working with the high school department. Uh, in college, I had a lot of experience in working with the youth and youth-oriented orgs uh, in my own org. So uh, I thought it would be a good experience to try something new. And I decided to go with MI because uh, I wanted to deviate from what I was used to since Assumption Antipolo is actually my high school and uh, Ika is another uh, all-girls Catholic school so I thought to myself that that was my high school experience and then I was in a Catholic university so I thought do I really want to go back to another Catholic school and then I kind of wanted to like expand my horizons or try something new so that's how I ended up with MI. Okay, I understand. So right now, you're taking your master's degree, the University of the Philippines. It's actually how we met. We yes. were classmates for one subject on educational administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shout out to our classmates. Hello, hi guys. But anyway, <laughs> how is it so far? Like, how, how far along are you in your degree? Um, I started... Uh, my master's program just this year in January so I just completed my um, first semester of ed-ad so that includes the subject that you know we took together yes so that, so, that was yeah. pretty much your first sem first, first sem so why, subjects yeah. yeah out of the education you know programs that UP had why administration in particular? Uh, I felt like I wanted to understand education from a bird's eye view. Um, there's always that debate or that argument if the whole is uh, is greater than the sum of its parts, like what's more important, looking at the parts mm-hmm. or the whole. Um, well, personally, I, I'm kind of a, I'm a big picture person. So before I can excel in a specific position, I want to understand what the entire field looks like. So um, my heart is really in classroom teaching, but in order, I, I, I believe that in order for me to be an effective or a good classroom teacher, I need to understand how the entire school works. So uh, that's why I decided to choose educational administration. And I think my work in MI definitely uh, exposed me to what it takes to run a school. Um, in the past, yeah. <laughs> a very like naive, a naive Bianca thought, oh, I, I, in order to have a good school, you need to have amazing teachers in the classroom. But when I was uh, working as the SEA officer, I realized that there are so many elements involved with running There's a school. so much more to a school than just the teachers. Yes, definitely. There's so many moving parts. So that's what got me really interested in the administration side. I see. And, well, well, it's still your first semester, but you already have an idea on what you want to you know, research on for your degree? Um... Well, that was um, actually the essay question <laughs> for the <laughs> master's <laughs> application. Yeah, should you be accepted? What would you wish to research on? And um, yeah. I want, I wanted, I, w- I wanted to develop a, a a data management tool for for schools. 
So there are two options. So that was one, um, developing a data management tool, uh, because as my uh, during my two years stint as SCA officer, I also really got into data management. So every uh, what you call this, managing and tracking the data of student placement and admission. So where were they accepted mm-hmm. after graduating from high school? Where did they finish? And I'm using that data to see the effectiveness of the SHS program. Also comparing the capacities of the different strand graduates because we also compare yeah. the acceptance rate of, for example, STEM students versus ABM students. So that in, was one. In, in the, sorry, in the school that you work for, that do they offer all the strands of senior high? They offer four. So STEM, ABM, GAS, and HUMES. Okay. Yeah. So, so you wanted to assess, so wanted to assess uh, how well uh, your well student performs. So it's kind of like, like the, yeah, yeah, like you said, the data, data management system. system. Yes. And then the second option was, um, which is actually relevant now to what's going on with the pandemic and all, was to find, uh, how did I word it? It was determining the most efficient and effective balance of digital and analog instruction and assessment. So, you know, we're in the 21st century, we're in the digital age, and it's very common now for schools to use Google Classroom, Edmodo, Microsoft Teams. So I wanted to see, um, is it possible to go purely paperless? Is it possible to do instruction uh, purely digitally? Of course, like with face-to-face, but maybe no more printouts, no more handouts. Yeah. So I wanted to determine um, what's the most efficient and effective balance there. And the education administration side would come in because you would have to look at operating a school in terms of budget, like what equipment, software do you need, training for the teachers and then from the curriculum side how would you adjust instruction to adapt to the use of all these digital platforms yeah i mean that's that's going to be pretty much what everyone would be interested to know especially in the you know the current situation that we have like you said everyone's going online but in a way we're kind of we're kind of looking at it you know as, as it comes, it's not something that was fully prepared for. I mean, there have been steps in going towards online education ever since, you know, technology, the technology that we have allowed us to do so. But now, you know, we're being forced to go at it quicker than we thought we would. Definitely. So, yeah, so it's definitely something that we should look out for. Um, you know, you've been through different learning environments you've studied abroad in a way you've studied here and you know there's this kind of like a dichotomy between traditional and progressive you know teaching styles and i'm sure that you probably experienced both styles so you know for you how would you describe let's say first a traditional teaching style based on you know your experience and stuff that you've learned well, I would say that traditional, the, tra- the traditional educational style is something that we're familiar with seeing here in the Philippines. It's also mm-hmm. how schools are typically portrayed in TV series, in movies. 
and it essentially pertains to knowledge transfer. It's about the, the traditional setting would have the student in the classroom, teacher in the front, and just filling, it's like the, the student is an empty box and the teacher is just filling that box with information oh, and right. knowledge. Yes. So it's more about uh, textbook learning, it's more about memorization, um, the skills you or the assessment would mostly be identification of specific facts, sequencing of facts, and the like. Whereas uh, the progressive uh, education style is something more of experiential learning, uh, where the learners really paid attention to the differences in learners are paid attention to as well and taken into consideration when the teacher is. Uh, giving the lesson and it shifts the teacher's position from well a, di a dictator <laughs> to more of a facilitator <laughs> in the learning process yeah yeah so, so they're, they're, they're very, very contrasting, contrasting styles style. and you know personally do you lean towards a particular style like if you were going to teach you know, you know what would your style what would how would you describe your style be more traditional more progressive, is it 50-50? Um, I would definitely uh, lean towards the progressive style. Um, mainly because, like what I mentioned earlier, I think the progressive style, it makes learning more meaningful. It gets the student really involved voluntarily. Like They're not just there because it's an obligation. They're there because they're genuinely interested in something. And it, it's, it makes the reason why uh, something is being taught or why a student needs to learn something more clear whereas like it, before it's just you just have to sit there and you have to learn it because for that that's that's the requirement that's what's yeah, being asked that's, of you yeah, that's what we have to do it's what you have to do there's no choice but with the progressive style of education i feel like students are given a chance to identify how is this going to be useful for me or what can i use this for in my life and it also helps them uh, it attach meaning to what they're learning so that they can actually remember it. It's not like um, the, the typical scenario where once that unit or that quarter is done, you completely forget um, whatever it is you learned because you're going to make space in your brain for new information. So I definitely yeah. want to lean more towards the progressive style. Do you think... You know, in this day and age, there's still a need or a, or a niche for traditional teaching styles. Or, you know, would you see it as something that, you know, is just waiting to be obsolete? Honestly, I think it still exists because the it's difficult to adopt a progressive style of education. Um, mainly because of the the, the costs. Uh, so I think that the traditional style of education still exists today, because that's what is well, that's what schools are able to deliver. And I guess yeah. to give a, a clear example of that, uh, one of my favorite uh, education-related anecdotes is uh, when I was in first year high school. Uh, I was in Assumption Antipolo. So that's an exclusive Catholic school. 
and it was my first time back in the Philippines after four years in Singapore. So my I clearly remember my science teacher was drawing on the blackboard a strange object and he drew like a shape of a water container. So he said, how do you get the volume of this irregular shaped object? Like if it was something like, yeah, something that doesn't have a clear length, width, and height because that's the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, formula for volume. You multiply all three dimensions. So he just he asked that nobody answered and then he just went ahead and explained okay so you have this container of water with a known volume you put the object in the water and then you see how much water has been displaced so that's the water displacement yeah. method and then everyone was just looking at the blackboard and writing that formula or recreating that drawing in their notebooks and I was watching it, and I and I was thinking to myself, this is so familiar. I really feel like I've learned this before. And then I remembered that I did cover that lesson before in grade seven when I was studying in Singapore. So uh, my school was Singapore American School. But I remember I knew the answer to his question because I experienced that lesson in the past. And what I mean by that is in SAS, for Singapore American School, we had an activity in science where we were asked to bring swimsuits to school. And during our science period, our science teacher had a giant, uh, actually a garbage, uh, a garbage bin of, of water. So we were tasked to find the volume of our bodies. So that meant, um, first we had to measure the, vo the dimensions of the water bin so that we would yeah. know the volume of the water. And of course, we don't have a definite length, height, width. So we actually, yes, we actually went inside the container of water and then we measured <laughs> how much water was displaced. Wow. So that's how we Amazing. learned um, what the water displacement method is. And until this day, yeah. I, can still, I still know how to find the volume <laughs> of an irregularly shaped object. So yes. um, it's those kinds of things. Like that's that's a clear example of the difference between traditional and progressive uh, education. And I mean, it's my dream that all children, like all Filipinos, would have a chance to experience that kind of education because it's just it, it's it's more fun. It makes learning more enjoyable, and it's, it's yeah, yeah it's. It, it's, it's it, you experience it so it's easier to learn so i mean that's just science i experienced the same thing um in other subjects as well like i'm not sure if, if you know about like uh, horizontal articulation how subjects in a grade level need to be aligned with each other or sometimes their coverage yeah. connects and all so another example that i can give was in high school we were learning about ancient egypt so, you know, we'd watch a video or a documentary about ancient Egypt. We were assigned to read chapter 5 to 6 in the textbook and the like. That's how we learn about ancient Egypt and mummification and the like. But in SAS, which is a, was an international school, um, we actually had the chance to mummify a chicken. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so we actually okay. had a, a raw chicken. And we experienced, so we learned about mummification process. What's the mummification process? 
um, all of the organs are removed from the body. So we remove yeah. the organs from the chicken's body and we place them in canopic jars, you know, with the salt. So to preserve the organs yeah, yeah. and the like. And we experienced like wrapping the, the chicken in bandages. So, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so that's how that's how different um, traditional and progressive education is. So, of course, they both have their advantages, but I think the main challenge with trendi- with um, transitioning from traditional to progressive education would be the actual budgeting and resource allocation. Because, yeah, it's not it it's not cheap. To be able to teach yeah, um, students, definitely. yeah, in that to teach students in that experiential way. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I think you're right that uh, funding would be a factor in terms of deal and how to deliver such uh, progressive teaching stands because of the nature of it. You know, um, and well. Right now, we're both at home <laughs> doing this through Zoom because of the pandemic. You know, what do you think? What do you think about the current direction of you know the government in terms of how they plan to conduct the next school year in this situation? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely have to give credit for the efforts. Um, you know, these times are unprecedented. We've never experienced uh, a pandemic of this scale in the recent years. So I give credit to the fact that uh, DepEd has been exploring different options. Uh, I guess I'm just skeptical about the feasibility of these. So for yeah. example, um, having having classes administered through uh, what do you call this? A mixture of t- TV and radio learning. Yeah, mass uh, media. Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's it's common knowledge that the Philippines is a third world country. So um, I guess it's quite assuming that every single household would have access to a TV or have access to a radio. So I feel like the 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 intent is there, but I'm really skeptical about the execution. Uh, more so with the digital learning, the online learning. Um, I recently just read about the DepEd Commons, so um, I find it hard. I find it hard to believe that every single household will have access to, you know, a good a good connection to it to the to a good Wi-Fi connection, a good internet connection yeah. to be able to access those. So, I mean, it's. It's a really, really abnormal times. I give credit to the effort, but the we'll just have to wait and see what the execution yeah, will actually be true. like. Yeah. You know, I think most people have their doubts as well. You know, it's not really a matter of politics anymore. It's just like, you know, we, there has been a lot of vagueness to some of the plans that you know Depen has been you know, you know, like you said the intent is great but there are realities that you know we do have to face what do you think would be the biggest challenge this coming school year the biggest challenge this coming school year i think it i think the biggest challenge this coming school year 2020 to 21 amidst the covid pandemic is the sustainability 
of the lessons. So uh, initially, I thought it might be communicating the ideas, but in this day and age, um, it's ve- it's very common, it's very normal for people to have social media profiles, and gover- every everyone from government agencies to schools have been using these channels to communicate announcements. So I don't think that that's a factor. So everyone has everyone. Uh, would have the opportunity to have access to the information and the announcements at some point at some point yes but the challenge really would be uh, the sustainability so I feel like maybe at first the students are excited of this new method where they're going to be learning online learning through video conferencing and um, you know live uh, adopting the distance learning lifestyle but I feel like it's difficult to uh, sustain that hook like once they're they're the, the novelty off, were, will wear off at some point yes and it's it's I mean I've seen so many jokes I've seen so many memes so many TikToks about um, <laughs> the strategies that students use during online classes so uh, the actual um, the actual attention uh, sus- being sustained would be the biggest challenge, I believe. Uh, I have a nephew who's just six years old, and he's already started his first uh, day of grade one. But it's just I I find it oh. so I find it so odd because it's done online. So if if you can imagine mm-hmm. toddlers, it's so difficult to manage them in the classroom setting to get their attention. Much to much less in this kind of you know setup yes. that you're just they're just watching a screen pretty exactly. much. Exactly. Where they can be doing all sorts of things on the screen. So um yeah that's definitely one main challenge and then of course um getting the entire family involved because I think that the distance learning it's it's going to become an entire family effort it's not just the um, student at work now like the parents really have to be involved they have to you know as, as they're running the household they have to make sure that the they have this their their children have the resources they need whether it be the actual device that they're going to use for online schooling the internet connection the actual space in their living area where they're going to have classes so it's really going to become a family effort yeah and, and yeah that's assuming that you know uh their privilege students are privileged enough to have like you know supportive families yes, what if exactly, you know there would exactly. be families that you know both parents are working mm. are just a single parent situation right, you know right. these are realities that that would be big, big hindrances and big challenges mm-hmm. in the school year. Well, yeah. What, what do you how... think? Yeah. Go. What do you think, Jay? Because you're you're a teacher now, <laughs> so I think you would well, be familiar you know, with I've the challenge. Well, you know, I've said this in my first episode, but I think the biggest challenge would be the whole class divide thing. This will definitely expose, you know, this will definitely expose that the reality that we're not on the same level playing field. Right. There are many people who do not have the privilege of, you know, like a proper internet connection, much less a gadget to work with or a laptop to work with. And, you know, even if we do the whole mass media, you know, approach that, you know, TV and radio, you know, there are kids who live in 
places that are not accessible with uh, are not accessed with mass media so that will definitely be you know a challenge that the school year will face you know there will be the the whole class divide will be exposed right and you know before maybe before the pandemic we could people have been trying to hide it or ignore it you know but now it will be out in the open and i think what how how we respond as a nation how we respond as a society i think that would you know set the tone for the years to come because i'm pretty sure you know if this happened now you know what knock on wood it might happen again so you know how how we handle this this current situation will dictate how we handle you know future situations yeah, yeah. yeah I, definite, gonna, I definitely agree about the class divide. Uh, I was talking about that with my high school friends because there are students who yeah they 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 don't they don't have access to meals three times a day so let, let alone an internet connection or uh, yeah. right but it's not it's not even on their agenda. For, there are families in the Philippines where their main agenda is just to eat at least once a day. Yeah. So it's so difficult to imagine that um, that they're going to have to think about something else. Yeah, so I don't know. It's, 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 it's scary. It's definitely scary. Yeah, it is. With what's well, happening. yeah, you know, there's no way to go but yeah. forward. You know, there's no way to yeah. go but forward. And speaking of forward, speaking uh, of forward uh, you know, there are just a few more things, things I would like, like to ask you. You know, you as an educator, what do you think are your strengths and weaknesses? Mm, wow, parang pang Miss Universe. <laughs> Miss Ed. Miss yes, Def Ed. Yes. I think, I think these, these last three questions will be like my defining questions for every guest that comes here. I think this, I think this, will, be, this will be my thing. But you know, mm-hmm. yeah, what, what do you think would be your strengths and weaknesses as an educator? Oh my gosh, parang... Parang maiiyak ata ako sa sagot <laughs> Okay, strengths and weaknesses. Um, okay, let's start with weakness. I think um, my weakness as an educator, I would I would have to say it it might it it sounds like a negative thing, but I feel like my weakness as an educator would be. Um, my respect for for rest um mm-hmm. so i would say that i have a respect for rest meaning if i know that i'm tired i'm going to take a break i'm going to recharge yeah. so that i can um be energized for the next uh leg of work that i'm going to in- go getting into but i have seen colleagues and I've seen my own teachers who are completely tireless and they give their 500% in every single lesson they lesson plan they prepare in every uh, lecture that they give and every project that they plan and every student that no, they no mentor. days off yeah no days off so I think that my weakness would be um, actually having this uh, uh, if I were to be in the field side by side by those teachers who yeah. work tirelessly, that would be my weakness actually 
uh, taking time to rest. It's kind of a double-edged sword because, you yeah. know, I might be taking time to rest, but it might be uh, giving up time to improve on something, whether it's, you know, creating a test or fixing a lesson plan. But at the same time, uh, if I don't take the rest and I actually push myself, I might not be able to uh, teach well or to perform well. So it, yes, I, I feel yeah. like it's really about the, the balance. Whereas my strength as an educator, um, I really believe it's my advocacy for the youth and for the uh, Philippines. When I was working as a CA, I worked closely with um, the high school students and I personally believed in each one of them. So as a teacher, I would really advocate for each student, make sure that they are able to, they're, we're able to reach and teach every student. That's, I mean, that's what I want in the Philippines, that every single child will have a quality education. So I think that uh, my belief that that is something that each Filipino deserves, that would definitely be my strength because it would dictate um, how I work with each child, how I want to make sure that each child um, gets quality education and the belief that it is something that they deserve, something that I want for the entire country. So it's quite idealistic, quite optimistic, but I feel like that that's my strength, that that mindset that every yeah. child deserves quality education would be my strength because it would push me to make sure that every lesson is delivered in the best possible manner and that every child is actually cared for, not just in terms of their academics, but in terms of their overall, uh, their holistic development. Yeah, uh, definitely. So, you know, knowing your strengths and weakness, what do you think is your biggest goal as an educator? I think you answered this pretty much. <laughs> That I mean, you said that you wanted to, you know, every every student, every Filipino student would have the access, the, the privilege of, you know, learning. I think would you say that that would be definitely. your biggest goal? Yeah, qu- quality education for all. I mean, I, I'm that's that's my favorite uh, SDG, the education. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, definitely, um, quality education starting with you know my my own country, the Philippines. But I think uh, on a more micro scale, I think my goal would be for every student to enjoy learning, to be to contribute to the process that makes sure that every child enjoys learning. Um, I think when when they are able to enjoy what they're learning, they're able to voluntarily put effort in what they're doing and better improve their their performance and overall in the scheme of things improve them themselves so it's really um, helping each helping each child uh, feel empowered so that they can enjoy learning and enjoy improving in their work in school and also improving themselves um well, we don't really have much experience, like you know, years of experience. But what would you give? What would what would you be your advice to someone who's probably thinking about getting into education? You know, being a teacher or being, you know, just part of an institution uh, like a school. What would be your advice for that person? Mm, I think if I were to give advice to someone getting into education. 
I think the best advice that I could be give would be sounds quite cheesy, but to know to know your why. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to know know your why, know your purpose for ah. entering education. Um, I know there are people who enter education because they they love the subject matter. So, for example, they're they're passionate about math, and if their purpose is to really, you know, further hone their skills in math and to share that love for math with other people, then that's what's going to drive them. Others are really passionate. Uh, are really um, get into education because they're passionate about the youth. So working with the youth gives them joy, it fuels them, it motivates them. Then that's what would push them to be a good teacher. So I think it's really important to know your purpose for entering education because being rudderless in education, which is a very tiring and sometimes thankless, uh, underrated profession, yeah. uh, being rudderless would make the experience very difficult. So if you're going to get into education, um, I'm not saying that you have to get into it for the right reasons because there, you can't really say that there is a right reason for everyone. There are a lot of re- different reasons. Yeah, so it's to make sure that you know the reason why you're getting into it and stick to that. Let that um, be the, let that fuel you to be the best educator that you can be. Very, very well said. Thank yeah. you very much. Good eye. Thank you. Bianca? Yeah, <laughs> you know, Like I said this with my other guests before, it's kind of weird interviewing someone that you know personally. Uh, because, you know, these are probably things that we've talked about, you know, class, for example. But yeah, it's really great to hear your thoughts, you know. Thank you very much for coming today. Um, do you you have anything to plug or to promote, you know, personal projects, stuff like that? <laughs> um, no, I don't have any personal projects right now, but I think something <laughs> that um, all Filipinos can benefit from now, maybe um, the campaign of Think Before You Click. So to every single mm-hmm. person who's using the internet <laughs> right now, let's let's just take a few seconds to think before we click. I think <laughs> that's what I want to plug. You know, try to think if this is a credible source before you click share. Um, Definitely. Try, try to think if this opinion or this sentiment is something that you would want the entire world to read, because the internet is forever. Some people don't realize <laughs> that. Yeah, I mean, in the times that we're in, think yeah, think before you click. Is it something credible to share? Is it something you want to add to the conversation? Is it something to help? But otherwise, listen to the Pisara Tales. Yes, <laughs> yes. Episode. That's I love it. I'm Thank playing. you for the for the pre plug. All right, <laughs> that's very uh, very well said. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you very much. You know, um, like. Like she said, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pisara Tale. If you have any messages, comments, violent reactions, you know, if you don't have those social media platforms, you can email us thepisaratales at gmail.com. Um, this podcast has been edited by EJ Adrian. It's produced by yours truly and Paul Esquillo. Publication materials were made by Janine.